Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. In 1968, the German philosopher Hannah Arendt wrote this. For the first time in history, all peoples on earth have a common present. No event of any importance in the history of one country can remain a marginal accident in the history of any other. Every country has become the almost immediate neighbor of every other country, and every man feels the shock of events which take place on the other side of the globe. 1400 years earlier though, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said something remarkably similar. Here's our very own Prime Minister reading it in Christchurch a week after the attack at the first Friday prayer. The believers in their mutual kindness, compassion and sympathy are just like one body. When any part of the body suffers, the whole body feels pain. New Zealand mourns with you. We are one. It feels like I live in this world that is unknowable to you, where there are all these things to be scared of and all these things to, to have to fight against. What on earth is going on with our media, with our political class, to put these other people, these alien colonizers, before us. Effectively, it is open season on minorities and Muslims in particular. The Guest House, Episode 4, Depression. The more I've spoken to Muslims who aren't from New Zealand, the more I've been struck by just how much of a global event Christchurch was. The shockwaves that spread out from the epicenter of Al-Nur and Linwood mosques didn't just stop at our shores. On March 15, almost every Muslim community in the world felt like they too had been targeted. Some avoided attending Friday prayers in fear of copycat attacks. Others thought about just how safe their mosque was. I remember just being, feeling very quiet that morning. This is Suhaima Manzul Khan. And going to the mosque. She's a poet and activist from London. God, I really remember that gym actually because in my mosque, the, the women's section is up a set of stairs, and it's a very narrow set of stairs. And I've always thought, oh, God, you know, this is such a badly, you know, it needs renovating, whatever, da-da-da, um, because it takes so long for everybody to get out. But then that kind of took on a more sinister meaning on that day. And, you know, I just kind of thought, wow, it, there, isn't, there are no escape routes in here. There's no, And you suddenly start thinking of fears that you may have had before and thought, gosh, I'm so paranoid. Why am I even thinking about that? It, they were all suddenly realised. Do you know what I mean? And it was this realisation that actually 
it's not absurd, it's not crazy, and it, it doesn't make us insane to actually imagine an incident like what happened happening. I think the imam was, you know, he was balancing a lot of different feelings and you could hear it in his voice and I could tell this kind of despairing feeling was coming through where, you know, he was just saying things like, I would suggest, you know, we all get fit, people need to learn how to run. And then I remember staying in the mosque a long, long time that day and, and actually just with my head in my hands, really like crying and, and just, I think it was a real feeling of like, I think helplessness, but also almost in a really sinister way, a sense of validation um, that was like, oh, so we are right to be hypervigilant, so we are right to be paranoid, we are right to be looking over our shoulders, we are right to, to feel afraid to walk to the mosque at night, all these things. When I reached out to Suhaima, it was the day after Britain formally left the EU, nearly four years after the Brexit referendum. A vote one largely off the back of a rising tide of anti-immigration. It felt like a, a pretty solid rejection of people of colour in this country. My family migrated from Pakistan to West Yorkshire in the 1960s. They came here almost 60 years ago now, and people would say to them, you know, go home, Pakis, go home, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish, all that kind of stuff. Um, and here we are 60 years later and that sentiment remains because this is all constructed um, as kind of an, a, a way of defining a boundary of what is British and what is not. All you are left with is that Britishness is whiteness because I, <laughs> because you, you can see I am British, right? There's nothing in the sense of like my norms and my mores and my whatever else, the ways that I speak, my mannerisms. But for me to be, to, to claim that and that to be actually uh, recognised disrupts the whole notion of Britain as the inverse of other, the inverse of the colonised, the backwards, the uncivilised, the Muslim, the person of colour, the migrant, the refugee, etc. Muslims in the UK are well-versed in the language of exclusion, and they've been fighting for their space against some pretty nasty undercurrents of Islamophobia. The loudest of them are far-right public figures like Tommy Robinson and Katie Hopkins who regularly say things like... The Islamic community will feel the full force of the English Defence League if we see any of our citizens killed, maimed or hurt on British soil ever again. They want segregated transport, segregated living, and they want halal everywhere and sharia. And then we wonder why we end up living with the jihadis next door. The Prime Minister himself, just elected in a historic landslide, once said Islamophobia was the natural reaction to Islam, compared women who wear the niqab to bank robbers and postal boxes, and in 2005 wrote, the problem is Islam. Islam is the problem. Because I have nothing to say about this matter except obviously. And for everyone immediately picking up their pitchforks to defend freedom of speech, let me show you the stats of what this harmless language actually does. In the weeks after Boris Johnson's comments, there was a spike in verbal and physical attacks on Muslim women. Last year, a government study found racially fueled attacks had gone up by 14%, and religious hate crime went up by, get this, 40%. In 2015, a YouGov poll found 56% of the British public believed Islam was a threat to Western democracy. A survey of 6,000 schoolchildren found a third of them thought Islam was taking over the UK. 
last week I met up with a, a school friend, um, one of my best friends from school, white girl, non-Muslim, who I've known most of my life since I was four years old. And we've been to all primary school together, high school together. We were just talking and I just was saying in the course of the conversation, it, it's really overwhelming to me that when we were, you know, 15, 16, I didn't realise that being Muslim would become such a hard thing. And then I just got really emotional and I was just like, it feels like we at one time we lived in the same world and now it feels like I live in this world that is unknowable to you where there are all these things to be scared of and all these things to, to have to fight against and challenge every day, whether that's people's assumptions about me as a Muslim woman, be hypervigilant to, you know, border security, home raids, whatever, what you say online, what you say at university, what you say in the classroom, what you say to your doctor, what you post online, all of that. And I think that's one of the, the personal repercussions I feel is like the psychological strain. It makes me so sad that, you know, you have six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve-year-olds who already know how they are perceived by the world and they already know that you know, terrorist is this thing that is associated with their body, that violence is this thing associated with them. And I think we underestimate how, like, painful that is and how difficult that is to carry and how much it means that people then internalise. Um. Oh, man. So I'm... I'm middle of editing this this episode now um, I'm in my flat in uh, in London I'm fly back to Christchurch in a week's time and I'm in just editing this now and then and then a colleague messages me um, that something's happened in Germany and <sighs> I'm checking the news now looks like there was a shooting. Nine people have been killed in two shootings in the western town of Hanau in Germany. It was at a shisha bar. I heard um, a loud shooting. Bang, bang, bang. I have no idea who did it or who the victims were. But Everybody, the, the person run, uh, scream. Every time this happens, I, I feel my body tense up. Like, just just hearing that something has happened, I still have no idea what went on, but my body's starting to tense up now, and, like, I could feel my jaw clenching. Nine people, mostly Muslim immigrants, in a Frankfurt suburb. <sighs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know why this is, this is happening. Police say there's evidence that the deadly attack was carried out by a far-right extremist. But I don't know why we're living in this world right now where this has become the norm. This has become something we expect. I don't know why it's happening. I don't know how much more violence, senseless violence we can endure. I don't know where it's heading. I don't know how to stop it. The way that trauma works, communal trauma, is that, you know, I don't have to personally have experienced any sort of physical or even verbal microaggressions or violence because of wearing hijab, but because I know that other people have, because I've had to read those stories, I then still 
experience the hypervigilance that is experienced by all women who wear hijab. I still will get on the tube, on the train or whatever and feel like I wish I had a coat with a hood on today. I wish I, I do my best to not do anything to stand out. You know, I don't want to do anything to upset anyone else, be extra friendly to people. What I've witnessed in the last three, four, maybe five years is just sort of this normalization of of hypervigilance that I, I can't take for granted that I can go outside and be safe, um, or that my family can go outside and be safe. And yeah, I guess it's just, I think at a, a very like childlike level, it's just, it just feels painful and unfair. It's, it's like, <laughs> I think it's that lack of, lack of being able to actually really understand how you personally, what you have done to deserve this. Here's the good news. For every Boris and Katie and Tommy out there spewing their hate unabashedly, there's a Sohaima fighting back. This is a poem of hers that went viral last year. It speaks to what it should mean to be a Muslim, an immigrant, a citizen, to belong. So this will not be a Muslims are like us poem. I refuse to be respectable. Instead, love us when we're lazy. Love us when we're poor. Love us in our back-to-backs, council estates, depressed and washed and weeping. Love us high as kites, suicidal, naked and contributing nothing. Love us then. Because if you need me to prove my humanity, I'm not the one that's not human. One year ago, I left a New Zealand wounded searching for a new meaning. Now, I'm getting ready to come home. But what will I find when I get there? The Guest House was made thanks to RNZ and Middle East Eye. It's produced and presented by me, Mohammed Hassan. My executive producer is Tim Watkin. My audio engineer is Rangi Poek. Thank you to Sahima Manzur Khan for lending her voice to this episode. And thank you for listening. If it moved you, please subscribe, leave a comment, share it with a loved one. Salam. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.